So we are going to dive into 1 Peter. We are wrapping up chapter 1. And so we're going to be 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25, and we'll be concluding this opening uh, section of his letter to the church experiencing tribulation and exile. So this is 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 22 through 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all you do for us, all you've done for us and continue to do. And we cannot wait for heaven and for that face-to-face -face fellowship. But until that day comes, Lord, let us praise you. Let us live for you. Let us live to advance your kingdom on this earth. You have given us a mission, God. Let us rise to meet it. Purify us by your word. Cleanse your church. Refine your church. May you return to find your bride ready. In this time, God, lead, lead the conversation. Open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds. Teach us your word. Give us a passion for it. Give us a zeal for this, Lord. May this be from you. May this be for you. May this be to your glory and yours alone. As we gather now, may we praise you individually and corporately, and may that praise continue as we go. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for abiding with us. We offer ourselves to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm not going to start in verse 22. We're actually going to start a few weeks ago. If you remember the passage we went through, we looked at how the, actually just last week, right? We looked at this idea of the knowledge that we have been redeemed with the blood of Christ really shapes our understanding and our acceptance and our response to everything. So we started in the middle. And just like last week, I think an idea in the middle is integral to understanding this because if we don't grasp this idea that pops up in the later verses then quite frankly we're just going to make excuses for ignoring the first couple verses and he says okay having purified your soul this is how you're to live da, 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 da. and then he says since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of god for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass the grass withers and the flower falls. Church, the question for us is simple. What are we waiting for? You think you're going to live forever? I'll do it tomorrow. What if God calls you home tonight? I'll do it in my next life. You get one. I mean, what's the church waiting for? What is the individual believer waiting for to take evangelism seriously? 
And look, I'm not, you can abuse this. You can make this so legalistic, right? You should never do, Joe and Leanna, you two should never do anything relaxing and fun. It should be evangelism 24-7. No. Sabbath. God talks about enjoying a meal with friends. God talks about fellowship, about going to people. I mean, Scripture is clear. So don't abuse this. Don't let this become some hyper-legalistic thing. But because it is abused, don't use that as an excuse to reject the truth of this. And the truth of this is, is that we must be mindful of the temporary nature of our lives and allow it to shape how we live. Consider these verses, Job 14, 1 and 2. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. You are few of days. You are withering. This is true of this physical life. Psalm 90, 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. See, this idea, this reality, this truth that our life is short and it is temporary and is fleeting, it should not fill us with fear or dread. It should not fill us with panic. It should not fill us with regret or remorse. It should fill us with zeal. It should fill us with a passion. It should fill us with a drive to make the most of our time. When you go on vacation, you recognize that vacation is limited, right? So you do what you want to make sure you did on vacation rather than just putting it off till the end. If you go down to Orlando and you're like, okay, I want to go to Orlando because I want to go to Disney because I want to ride Space Mountain. You do that first. You don't say, well, we'll wait till, you know, 20 minutes before our flight leaves and then we'll try and quickly get over to the park and ride the roller coaster we want to. No, so this idea of teaching us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom, recognizing the shortness of our life, recognizing the temporary nature of this physical life, is to give us a heart of wisdom. Not a heart of fear, not a heart of dread, but a heart of, oh, hey, I've got a window. I want to make the most of it. And so I'm going to ask one more time, what are we waiting for? I mean, what are we individually waiting for to take evangelism seriously? What are we individually waiting for to take our call to be the church that builds itself up in love seriously? What are we waiting for to take God's word and apply it to our lives? I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. I'll do it next season of life. I have no idea how many more seconds I have in this world. No clue. Neither do you. So what are we waiting for? I think for a lot of us, I think for the American church, we need to pray, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. That we may realize putting it off until tomorrow isn't promised. The time is now to apply God's word. The time is now to live for him. So these things that we're about to look at that Peter calls the church to the time to apply these verses is not next month, is not next year. The time to apply these verses is now. And we need to be aware of this fact. But that's exciting because God has given us a mission. 
He's given us an opportunity to live for his kingdom. And there's joy in that that we're going to look at. All right, so teach us to number our days. The flesh is like grass. Grass withers. We've got to be aware of that fact. It should shape us. But then in that cognizance of this fact that life is temporary, okay, then what is the burning desire of my heart? Purification. Sanctification. Holiness. To look like Jesus. To live for Jesus. He says, having purified your souls by obedience to the word, for a, or obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love. I mean, believers, your desire to be 90% for Jesus. My desire is 100%. It's why I say that our goal for church things is 100%. Because I don't ever want to look at my life and say, yeah, God, I'm I'm good with giving you 95%. Why am I unwilling to give him that final 5%? That word purify, we've talked about this time and time again. If I hand you a bottle of water, it's hot. Next Saturday, we're working outside. We're working. I'm like, hey, I've got a bottle of water. It is 99% water. It is 1% poison. You taking a drink from the bottle? No. Pure is pure. Pure is 100%. We will not arrive at perfection. Do not turn this into eradicationism. Do not turn this into perfectionism, suppressionism. We will not arrive at total perfection this side of eternity, this side of heaven. But this should be our goal, to purify our conscience, to purify our soul, to purify our behavior, to purify our thoughts, to purify our lives. How do we do so? Obedience to the truth. John 17, 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So we purify ourselves through obedience to God's word. We see this throughout Scripture. Psalm 119, 9 through 11, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 1 John 5, 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. As a believer, my desire is to look. I'm I'm not saying this facetious. I'm saying like literally, as a believer, as a disciple of Christ, my desire is to look increasingly like Christ, to live increasingly like Christ, to be increasingly molded into his image. God's word equips me in that. It assists me in that. It guides me in that. It directs me in that. It shapes me in that. Why would I ever consider that burdensome? I mean, if you have a goal and there's a way to help you achieve your goal and to pursue your goal, that's not a negative thing. So we have to learn to flip our perspective and we have to learn to delight in God's Word, to find joy in it. Maybe the prayer for us needs to be, Lord, create in me a heart that beats for your Word. Create in me a heart that craves time with you. Created me a heart that yearns to be with you, to hear from you, to listen to your word. Because this is how we guard our ways. 
This is how we purify our souls. And don't miss the word sincere there. He says, purified your souls for a sincere love. Every week, what's the last slide? What's the last aspect of every sermon? Steve knows. He gets a text message picture of it every single Sunday from Mike. I love it. I love the iron sharpening iron. See, what's the last thing we do? What we're doing for the week, our goals for the week. This is the scripture we're going to read this week. This is how we're going to pray through the scripture this week. This is how we're going to apply the scripture this week. Do you think those things are picked arbitrarily? That every week I'm just like, and that chapter. No, this stuff is designed to help us take what we're looking at Sunday and continue to live it out throughout the week, to engage with God's word throughout the week, to grow throughout the week. You should not be engaging with it just so I'll get off your back. Well, fine, I'll, I'll do it just so if Sam asks me, I can say I did it. That's not sincere. You shouldn't be doing it so that the elders will be proud of you. You shouldn't do it so that you can feel holier than the person sitting next to you in the seats on Sunday morning. Guys, I, I, I mean, believer, we need to engage with this stuff because our heart beats for the Lord. We need to engage with this stuff because it is the desire of our lives. The zeal of God must fill us. Where we're doing this because we want to. If you're not there, okay, praise God for the clarity of how to pray. If you don't have that zeal, if you don't have that fire, if you look at that this week, let's all, and you're like, here we go, Sam with his homework again. I mean, if that's your response, okay, praise God that you know how to pray. Because if that's where you are, then your prayer is simple. Lord, fill me with a zeal for you. Fill me with a desire for holiness. Fill me with a passion for this. It must be sincere. It's got to be. And there is so much joy in it. There is so much delight in living for God. There is so much privilege and honor in being a part of His church, His body, His bride. I mean, the men's Bible study was a blast. I love hearing about the women's Bible study and the, the fun that women are having coming together and growing together and learning to know one another better and learning to know God better. I was telling Mario, this is the first work day that they get to participate in. I was like, dude, I look forward to these days. Like, it is so much fun to crank music and roll up your sleeves and get to work with these people. Like, it's just a good time. God's commands are not burdensome. The life he has called us to is not weary. It's exciting. It's a joy. It's a privilege. It should fill us with zeal. Because there is delight in living for the Lord and purifying our souls for his name's sake. And this is what Peter reminds the church of. It's what we must remind ourselves of today. And then Peter does something very interesting. He says, Purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another. 
And so back to back, you have love, love. It says, first sincere brother, love. So having done this, love one another. Here's your response. But he switches the type of love that he's talking about. The first one is brotherly love, phileo love. The word is literally Philadelphian. Like, that's why we name it the city of brotherly love. Philadelphian. And Philadelphian is affection for fellow believers. It's the affection that you share with the other members of Christ's family. We're not going to spend too much time on that because, quite frankly, you cannot read Scripture and not come away with a deep impression of how much God desires us to love the church. I mean, if, if this is a new concept to you, like, wait, I'm called to love the church, open your Bible up starting in Matthew and then just read till the book ends. And you will see it a hundred times. So it starts with a brotherly affection. It starts with, hey, Steve, you and I are both believers in Christ. We are brothers in Christ. There is a familial affection that we now share. Peter says it begins with this brotherly love, but then he transitions and he says, okay, so beginning with this brotherly love, now love one another. And he switches to agapo, agape love. And this is deliberate love. This is deep, preferential love. Agape love means doing what the Lord prefers with him, by his power, by his direction. Agape love is always defined by God. The one commentary refers to it as a discriminating affection which involves choice and selection. I mean, if you read through 1 John 4, those are just a few of the verses in 1 John 4, but if you read through 1 John 4, you see that loving is Christ living his life through the believer. And so Peter is writing to the early church and he says, okay, you began with brotherly affection, you began with familial love that kind of occurs naturally because you're part of the same body. Now, love one another with agape love. This is a love of deliberate, intentional choice where you are revealing your heart's preference. Matthew 5, 43 through 46, Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, and when we read love in these verses, it's, it's agape love. This is instances of agape love, which is implying a decision of love, a choice of, I have two options, I will choose this option. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You want to be a child of God? Choose to love the difficult people. Jesus says this in, Mark, in Matthew 5. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? I mean, Jesus says, Sam, if if you only choose to love the people who choose to love you, that's not impressive. He goes on to say even the sinners do that. The tax collectors do that. The Gentiles do that. So as a believer, I'm going to pat myself on the back for... Joe is one of my best friends. He treats me very lovingly. I'm going to pat myself on the back for loving Joe back? That's easy. Jesus says, no, you choose to love the people who don't love you. You choose to love the difficult people. This is how you are a child of mine. Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. 
You can't serve two masters because you will make a choice and your heart will reflect your choice or your choice will reflect your heart. If I say Jesus is master and I choose another love, that's revealing what my heart really prefers and that my words are just lip service. We are called to agape love. Mark 10, 17 through 22. As, he was, as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. Jesus chose agape to love a person who he knew in his divinity, in his omniscience. Jesus knew that that young man was seconds away from rejecting Jesus' call on his life. And Jesus loved him. He chose to love him. Luke 7, 41 through 47, Jesus is dining at a Pharisee's house. And a sinful woman comes in and, and begins to wash his feet. And the teacher calls him out on it. The teacher's like, the, the Pharisee's like, Jesus, what, come on, stop her. Aren't you going to do something about this? Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will agape love him more? Which of those two debtors will choose with their heart's preferences to love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The Pharisee, in his arrogance, chose to love Jesus little. The woman in her brokenness chose to love Jesus much. We are called to agape love because it is the love that has been modeled for us and called of us by Christ. We have to understand agape love, this preferential cho choice. And then where do we apply it? Yeah, I'll apply agape love to God. Great, do that. What's the context that Peter is writing? He says, love one another with agape love. And why does he switch? Why, why does it seem that he switches from familial love, which kind of naturally occurs, to this preferential, deep, sacrificial love of choice, love of reason, love of deliberate action? Because Peter just doesn't leave it at love one another. He adds on a modifier. He says, love one another earnestly. 
earnestly. What's that word mean? We might be able to define it in the English, but we have to look at the Greek to understand the impact, the weight, the significance of this word earnestly. It's the word ektenos. And it's used to modify an idea. It's used to describe an idea that is stretched out to its fullest potential. No slack. No looseness. Ectenos means this thing is stretched out to its absolute maximum potential, and that is necessary for it to be what it is meant to be. Peter says, love one another earnestly. Love one another stretched out to your full potential. It's the same word. We see the same word in Acts 12. Starting in verse 1, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when they had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. These people were stretched out to their fullest potential in prayer. They were laboring hard. This wasn't a casual toss-away prayer. This was, we are going to work to our maximum capacity for Peter, on behalf of Peter. And if you go on to read the rest of Acts chapter 12, the most incredible thing happens. God answers the prayer in a miraculous way. And Peter is immediately delivered from prison to the point, I mean, it is such a miraculous answer to the prayer that Peter leaves and he goes to the house where the disciples are gathered and he knocks on the door and they're like, oh, that's not really Peter. That couldn't be. Peter's like, no, like, seriously, like God got me out of prison. And they don't even believe it at first. It's awesome. But the people, ectenos, the people prayed in earnesty. This is how we are called to love one another, to love the church. So the question for you today, individually, and yes, I am speaking to each and every one of you individually, are you personally loving the church in a way that is stretching you to your fullest potential? Or are you loving the church in a way that's easy? Are you loving the church in a way that's comfortable? Are you loving the church in a way that's familiar? that requires no sacrifice, that requires no change in your behavior. Costi Hinn, in his book, More Than a Healer, describes it this way. He says, Christian love says, I know the sacrifice it will take to love you, and I still really want to do it. I think that's a beautiful definition of actenos love. I know it will require me to sacrifice myself to love you and I really want to do it. Why? Because you all are the bride of Christ. Why would I not want to serve the bride of Christ with all that I can? Why would I not want to extend myself for the body of Christ? Philippians 2, 1-8, Jesus models this. 
So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is agape love in earnest. That is, I will prefer Bruce and Sue over myself. I will prefer Maria and Kyle over myself. I will prefer Star over myself. That is the love you have been called to as a member of the church. And I want to take a moment and uh, Tim, Joe, can I be very honest? Your elders, honest? Okay, I'm going to be honest. I am going to speak to the majority of you right now. I'm going to speak to a very large number of you. I am not talking to all of you right now. And you'll know which camp you fall in. A significant number of you all, I believe, are loving this church earnestly. You're giving up weeknights to come out and sharpen one another. I know you have other things you could be doing. We all do. You're giving up Saturday morning to come work for this church. I know you have other things you could be doing on your Saturday. We all do. You're giving up nights to come out to a communion service. You're giving up time to go to prayer meeting. Like So many of you are doing this so well and it is such a blessing to this body. It is such an encouragement to the leadership. It is such an encouragement to Adeline and I. It is such an encouragement to one another. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with individuals in this body who have expressed a deep gratitude and blessing of Bible study, of prayer time, of working alongside. I mean, like, so many of you are loving this body in a way that stretches you. And it is so appreciated. I want us to be a people who are stretched. I don't want us to stretch to the point of breaking, but I want to push you. I want you to push me. I want the elders to push you. I want you to push the elders. And a lot of you, I believe, are loving in ectenos. So thank you. Continue to be the body that seeks to stretch itself in love for one another. And for those of you who can look inside and know that I wasn't just speaking to you, you just got to ask yourself, why am I unwilling to be part of that? Why am I unwilling to stretch myself in love for this body? I get that it's new. I get that it's different. I get that this is a high standard, but this is what we've been called to. This is what Jesus has modeled for us. So maybe start with something small. You get here at 1020, 
Stretch yourself and get here 20 minutes earlier next Sunday so that you can pray for the worship team, so that you can pray for the volunteers in the kids' wing. I know they appreciate it. I know it means something to them. So maybe start by stretching yourself in a small way. But we have to be willing to love ectenos. This is what we've been called to. This is hard. I can't do this. I don't have this in me. I kind of agree. On our own, we don't have this in us. We're not on our own. The old Sam didn't have the capacity for this in any way, shape, or form. The old Steve, no way. The old Wilson family, not a chance. We're not on our own. We're not the old version of ourselves. That self has died. That self has been crucified with Christ. What's it say in Philippians? Having this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart, uh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. What is, the, what is the explicitly stated, I mean, God does not get any more clear than this. What is the explicitly stated result of God removing our heart of stone, giving us a heart of flesh, putting his spirit within us? I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 4.24, it's talking about we must live as we were taught. And it says, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. As we continue this series on First and Second Peter, we're going to get to one of my top five favorite passages in the Bible, Second Peter 1, 3 through 8. And it begins with an idea, and it says that God has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. It calls us participants in the divine nature. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, indwells all believers. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Yeah, I, I cite this one a lot. Ephesians 3, 20-21, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power at work within us, to him be the glory. Why do I believe that this church can be a church where 100% of the people are loving earnestly? Because his power is at work within us. Because it's not about us. Now, honestly, there's a degree to which I hope we're never at 100% because I want there to be unbelievers gathering with us. I want there to be people who need to hear the gospel. But I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about believers, disciples of Christ. I believe that we can be a church at 100% of Actenos love because it is His power at work within us. How awesome is that? That's so awesome my voice just cracked a little bit. I mean, how great is that, guys? His power is at work within us. 
He has removed the heart of stone. He has given us a heart of flesh. He has given us His Spirit that we might walk in His statutes, that we might live for Him, that we might love His church like He does. What a great thing to give ourselves to. What a beautiful thing to pursue. We talk about a culture of relentless pursuit. I want to be someone whose life is a relentless pursuit of looking like Christ and loving like Christ. I want this to be a church who is in relentless pursuit of loving one another like Christ did. This is how Peter wraps up this opening section to the church of exiles. Think about it. This would have been a very easy time for the church to become totally inwardly focused. This whole section, you've all just been forcibly removed from your homes. You've been blamed for burning down Mansfield. The rest of the city is ticked at you. They're rioting. They're threatening your lives. You're all scattered, fleeing, trying to figure out where I'm going to live, how I'm going to stay alive. I've got kids to take care of. I've got, like, you all have your own burdens, right? It would be so easy for you all to say, okay, time out on the whole rest of the body of Christ thing. It's time to just go inwardly focused. This is who Peter's writing to, and he says, Love one another earnestly. Church, what are we waiting for to love one another earnestly? I believe we're seeing it build and build and build, and it's incredible to watch what God is doing through that. So allow this passage to be a, a keep on keeping on. And if you're not there, allow this passage to give you a holy kick in the pants. This is what we've been called to. So this week, as we consider this, let's read Psalm 90 and Psalm 103. Let's read Isaiah 40. Let's read 1 John 4. And now that we have wrapped up all of 1 Peter 1, go back and reread 1 Peter 1. Read this first chapter. Now that we have gone verse by verse and broken it down, go back and read the chapter that we've looked at it as a whole in context. And then the application part is some self-reflection. How could you choose agape love, preferential choice? How could you choose to love your family in Christ in a way that stretches you this week? I am, let's look at the connect. This one is the same every single week. I confess that I don't change that any week. Because the connect's the same. Reach out to somebody from this family, pray with them, get to know them, invest in them, sharpen one another, iron sharpening iron. It's the same every week. I have not called someone outside my usual circle of five people in 17 years. I am terrified of this idea. Okay, so to send me an email that says, hey Sam, can you give me the phone number of three or four different people who I might not know so that I can call them this week and ask how they're doing and how I can... That terrifies me. That will stretch me. Awesome. Begin there. But how can you choose to love the family that God has placed you in in a way that stretches you? And the prayer ideas, let's continue to apply that Acts model of prayer. Praise God for what we see in 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. Lord, we praise you that your word never fades. 
We praise you that your word is enduring, right? Praise God based on this passage. Confess. Lord, I confess that I have not loved the church earnestly. Thanksgiving. God, I thank you that at times in my life, the church has loved me earnestly. I thank you for your, right? Like, apply these things. Supplication. Ask. Request. Lord, would you give me a heart that desires to love earnestly? Would you give me an appreciation for your word? Apply the Acts model. Let's continue to teach ourselves and grow in prayer. But ultimately... Let's be a church that has given itself entirely to our Lord and is loving and living the way he did. 1 Peter 1, 22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is good news. Let's live like it is. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for an abiding word. We thank you for an enduring word, an eternal word. We praise you for your kindness and your goodness. We praise you for your commands. We praise you for the guidance you give to our lives. Lord, forgive me for when I prefer myself over your bride. Forgive me for when I prefer my timetable over theirs, when I prefer my needs over theirs. Forgive this church for when we do the same. God, we ask that our hearts would burn with a passion for you, that you would lead us, that you would empower us to be the church as you have desired it to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, Otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.